everybody, and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 104th episode of the podcast, airing December 14th, 2020, which happens to be our solar eclipse in Sagittarius. So happy solar eclipse to you all. Now, I am pleased to present to you my discussion with Christina Caudill of Radiant Astrology, who will join me in a conversation on Aquarius and human potential. Now, Christina and I are going to tackle the subject of Aquarius energy as Jupiter and Saturn are about to move into the fixed air sign that is associated with innovation and evolution. As we prepare for the grand conjunction of these two societal heavyweights, uh, because they are initiating a 200-plus year cycle of growth and stabilization in the air element, we're going to look into the passage of these planets in the past to see how they've shaped our growth as a species, then look into the future to see what Aquarian potential awaits in these times ahead. So we do hope that you find inspiration in our conversation. Now, a fabulous way to show appreciation for this podcast and my astrological efforts is by making a one-time donation over at Mel's Tip Jar or by booking a personal consultation with yours truly, all of which can be done at energeticprinciples.com. Now, of course, you might have heard over the last couple episodes that I have been talking about an Astrology Basics 201 course that is coming up here in January, and I can uh, with great pleasure announce that it is finally open for registration. So this is going to be a six-week live Zoom course, which will start on January 13th, just after our Capricorn new moon. And we'll go for six consecutive weeks on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific time uh, or 7 p.m. Eastern time, Eastern time, which is also Thursdays at 11 a.m. Uh, Aussie Eastern time over on the Sydney time zone. So it is uh, available for those of you down under as well. And this class welcomes all intermediate students looking to expand their prediction toolkit. So in this course, we're going to dive into predictive techniques uh, that are available to forecast the natal chart. And so by learning and looking at planetary transits, perfections, and secondary progressions, you'll develop a synthesized toolkit for finding the most important predictive elements interacting with the chart and to weed out the clutter of potential influence. Because we all know when we look at a chart, there is so much going on. So whether you're looking to understand the past, navigate the now, or get prepared for the future, these techniques can help you cut to the chase. Plus, we're going to be using the charts of those present uh, in the class for an immersive learning experience, which is always fun because you learn so much from a live participant. So to find out more or to sign up for the class, you can come on down to learningthestars.com or visit my website or social media and Energetic Principles for direct links. So I do hope you can make it if it's something of interest to you. And if you know of someone who could benefit from this course, please spread the good word. All right. So who is ready to hear all about Aquarius and human potential? Here we go. Now let's meet our guest. All right. I am excited to welcome back to the podcast for this special episode, Christina Caudill of Radiant Astrology. Thanks for joining me again, Christina. Hey, Mel. Thank you so much for having me back. And it's so awesome to be here with your amazing listeners. I hope they're not sick of me yet, but I love being on your show. So thank you. Yeah, we're uh, well, because if you are a longtime listener, uh, you'll notice that Christina has been on this program uh, for you know, some time, but Hey, you know, you always bring back the people that you enjoy talking to. So that's, you know, 
reason enough Aww. for Christina to be here. You might have caught us during Libra season. We did the whole Libra season episode, right? What a season it was. <laughs> I hope we made some good predictions then. I can't even remember right now. It's the sun square Neptune, so I have zero memory. <laughs> I know. We're brave actually going into this podcast, uh, recording it as the sun squares Neptune. Almost exactly. It's a couple hours out. And I want to say that at my time, I think the... Uh, ascendant of the moment is actually like on the Neptune situation too. So we're literally floating in space as we have a conversation on Aquarius and human potential, which we all know if you're following the stars that we are about to go into some serious Aquarius business here. Um, in only less than a couple of weeks time, we're almost there, Christina, aren't we? We're like getting real close. With Saturn and Jupiter in Aquarius? Yeah, with Saturn and Jupiter moving into Aquarius. And then, of course, uh, one of the big highlights of 2020 is Jupiter and Saturn conjuncting in the skies, which you'll already see people, you know, talking about um, in in the news, um, about being able to see it join, like, literally. Like, we'll see this big star or big planetary, like, you know, brightness of Jupiter and Saturn meeting together uh, in the skies. Yeah, and it was said that I'm not 100 how sure how true this is, but you know the Star of Bethlehem. You know when the three wise men were looking for you know the baby Jesus, that was supposedly a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in the sky. Interesting. Well, and we're almost at Christmas time here or Yule time or whatever time you want to call it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, I think that's going to be a very interesting phenomenon to visually see, of course. Um, and I think we're recording, this is going to come out around the solar eclipse uh, right. in Sag. And, you know, after a couple days after the solar eclipse, uh, we'll have the moon in Capricorn as it leads to Aquarius. And so we'll actually see uh, kind of that little crescent of a moon, um, you know, this coming week, very close to the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that is going to be. So look for the moon, I guess is what I'm saying, uh, you know, the week that this comes out and you're going to see it inch ever so closely to conjunct um, that point. And of course, it would be nice if I had like an actual date for that, which I'm sure I could procure if I just pull out my honeycomb planner, a uh, shameless prompt for anybody who doesn't have one already. Um, yeah, so it looks like the moon is going to be conjunct uh, Jupiter on Wednesday the 16th um, and then conjunct Saturn, I mean, the same time. So it'll be around... It'll be around 9 p.m. here, 9.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. So just after midnight where Christina is over there in Atlanta. Um, but at that point, Jupiter is going to be at 29 degrees of Capricorn and Saturn will literally be at zero degrees of Aquarius because Saturn moves into Aquarius on the 16th. So as Saturn moves into Aquarius, like literally an hour later, it's going, the moon is going to conjunct uh, this crescent moon. So that's interesting to think of like, uh, you know, a, hello, I'm here. It's Aquarius. <laughs> we'll feel it. Yeah. And you know what? Because right now, as we're recording this, you know, Saturn is at that very, you know, anoretic degree, the end of Capricorn. And that is a rough one, man. <laughs> I mean, I just sort of feel like the weight of Saturn on my shoulders. And I remember about the same, you know, kind of, 
the transit earlier this year when Saturn was, it seemed like sitting forever at those last degrees of, of Capricorn. It just seems like, oh, can we move it on already? And <laughs> even though it was, you know, it was kind of, you know, scary. I mean, it was a whole new world when we were facing at the time, the first time ever having to deal with this whole social isolation, or they were calling it self-isolation, I guess, as opposed to mandatory isolation, but some people didn't want to be doing it, but we were having the social distancing and things like that. And that was just, it created such a strange world for us. Mm -hmm. But in some ways, we knew we were stepping out of that very heavy earth orientation into like, what kind of world is this that we're in? And I feel like we'll have more of a sense of that this time, especially with Jupiter making that jump too. Yes. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm looking forward to Jupiter being a little more free. <laughs> yeah, me too. I am ready for, uh, although, you know, Jupiter and Cap gave gave some blessings, especially to us Capricorn energies that, you know, myself and Christina are. Um, but I- We talked about that. That yeah. was another one of the episodes we did with Jupiter in um, Capricorn. In Capricorn. And I remember saying like, well, the last time that happened, I had a great time. And, um, but of course, the last time we had that, there wasn't Saturn there in Capricorn, yeah. which definitely made it a lot, you know, it's just like so much, so much work, so much, so many opportunities though, too, at least in my world. Um, I always, I felt like I was ready to kind of take on more, you know, and I felt like the oppression from others was just no longer something that I wanted or needed. I think, you know, I was ready to risk my own safety in order for me to like sort of be the boss of my own life. Mm. And so that's, you know, I think Jupiter helped with that self-belief. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in your first house, you know, as your cap rising and a cap sun. Um, And it makes me think, Christina, when you're mentioning, uh, you know, Saturn being at 29 degrees of Capricorn and we're feeling the weight, the anoretic last degree, um, and then bringing up how it was there earlier this year. And it was there um, at this point as we felt this threshold uh, into Aquarius, um, the last throes of Saturn in Capricorn, um, basically in the middle of March. And it actually is in our Aries ingress chart, which is always a very important chart that we pull as astrologers for the year uh, ahead, because that is kind of our astrological new year uh, when the sun moves into Aries. And at that time, um, Saturn was in Capricorn at 29 degrees. So there's something about 2020 in general and the, you know what we've been going through uh, that has has always had this twenty nine degrees of Capricorn um, attached to it. So I mean, think back to yourself. You know, in mid March, of course, we all know what was happening globally then. But if you can tap into your own energy, uh, you can kind of um, reanimate the, what that switch felt like for you once Saturn moved into Aquarius at the end of March and maybe kind of like think about that shift a little bit and how, what you learned at that point in time. Um, and then how this, you know, second go around of ingress into Aquarius, um, might feel with the, you know, what we've learned back in March. So, I don't think we said, Christine. Hey, just for oh, yeah. uh, one second, yeah. my husband's about to come in. So do we want to pause? Oh, we're going to pause our recording my, to not disrupt. My, my dog's going to go nuts. <laughs> Hang in there, folks. We'll be right back. 
All right, we are back. And um, I forgot, just in case there's any newbie listeners out there, uh, Christina, if they haven't heard Christina before, will you give us a little quick rundown of you know who you are and what you do? Of course. I'm Christina Caudill. I'm an evolutionary astrologer with radiantastrology.com and the Radiant Astrology Podcast. And um, I'm just like you, Melissa. I look at the stars and try to glean meaning from them. You know, what are they, what do they want from us? What do the planets want from us? What are they compelling us to do? And also because I explore um, a lot of the astrology through a therapeutic lens, we really look at, you know, how can we empower ourselves and live more authentically number one, through self-acceptance by understanding more of who we are through our natal chart. And also, you know, looking at our unconscious drives, what is driving the show that we aren't consciously aware of? And, you know, just the more you explore and more is unveiled through your natal chart, um, that really can help one to you know, live more fully and live more in alignment with who they truly are. So, um, and I'm more in the, in sort of the psychological astrology and evolutionary astrology realm where we look at sort of the soul's intention, but the more and more, Melissa, honestly, that I have been working with you and and listening to your podcast and learning from you, um, I've really come to really appreciate more of the mundane astrology, especially now because it is so big what's happening in the world. You can't you know, we can't shut it out completely. I mean, it does impact us. And even from, you know, the point of view of collective trauma, you know, I mean, you can't not be affected by 2020. So um, thank you for what you offer through your podcast and through your courses and things like that, because, um, you know, I'm, I'm one that like, I've, I used to only be like, okay, I'm just going to be evolutionary astrology and psychological astrology. But now I feel like I have the capacity for more, for more, you know, the, the best of what traditional astrology has to offer. I've even opened up little bit to Vedic astrology. So, um, you know, now, you know, North Node and Gemini, you know, this is the time to really sort of open that mind and, and start filling it with good stuff. Oh, absolutely. And I th- thank you for that. I'm glad to be a positive influence on, mon- on my crusade for mundane astrology, because you're, you know, you're absolutely right. Like, we have our natal charts um, and we have our own inherent energies that are built into that. And of course, there are the transits in the skies that connect to our natal chart, but the transits in the skies are influencing the world at large every day. And we are part of that world. And, you know, as the, the old Piscean saying of we are all connected, you know, it is part of um, understanding mundane astrology is very much a part of uh, really understanding astrology. And I love, well, and I love working with different uh, modalities too, because just, uh, you know, reading what Christina posts and all the kind of Jungian uh, perspective and the psychological perspective, like that enriches my practice as well. So it's like, it is, you know, variety is the spice of life. And if you are to be truly, um, proficient at what you do with many angles, especially when, you know, astrology is broadened thought and broadened inspiration and perception and being able to look at life, whether it's your own or, you know, life on planet earth from a wider perspective, like you have to open up to the many um, ways to get there. So 
And I think that's very Aquarius when we're thinking about um, kind of what our talk is going to be about here today, about just the Aquarius energy as we have, you know, Jupiter and Saturn going in there. Um, also the grand conjunction, which is kicking off a bigger 200 year cycle um, of just air energy coming in and, and it happening in Aquarius and what that means for uh, human potential and what we're capable of um, moving forward here. Uh, so any, so Aquarius change is coming, right, Christina? Can you feel it? Oh yeah. Um, it's funny cause I don't have any Aquarius like planets, you know, major planets in my natal chart. So I, you know, I'm very Capricorn and Scorpio. Those are like the most, <laughs> um, influences of my chart. And so I'm like, Oh my God, how am I going to survive? You know, I don't want to fail. Right. I want to do this right. But do I have the tools, you know? But I think in some ways, you know, if we look at these cycles, say for instance, the ages, the astrological ages. Now I'm no expert on this, but I have been following um, Ray Grossi and he's literally like wrote, written the book on that or written a book um, around this. And, you know, these are like 2000 year cycles. And so even if we're in like within like a hundred years from that end of the cycle, that's still a huge, you know, we're, we're on the precipice of it. And some think that, you know, that we've, we're already in the early stages of the age of Aquarius. I mean, look at the internet, you know, and look at how much, like most of us don't even touch the you know, cash or money. Like I, you know, we go places now and there's a lot of signs. It's like, this is cashless. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> I haven't been using cash probably in five years or so. And um, so a lot of this sort of the technology, I mean, innovation is relative, right? I mean, mm. you look back at the last time that Jupiter and Saturn were in Aquarius um, we've heard a lot of talk about like the Re Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, which was, you know, really, you know, a huge sort of breakthrough at the time um, against the Catholic Church, but and for, you know, like a whole, you know, new way of living and and honoring one's religion. But there also was, that was the time of the Black Death from like the four, 13 and 1400s, because that was the 200 year cycle of Jupiter and Saturn and air signs and specifically in Aquarius. And um, the Black Death was a time when, you know, that again was a huge virus. And, you know, at the time they didn't have the kind of public health that we have now. That actually was a time when public health first became a huge priority. Um, and people were dying like at such rapid rates, like something like 40 to 60% of people were dying, you know, like nothing like what we know now. I mean, now it was like, it's, it's already sort of shocking how many deaths there are associated with the um, COVID-19. But at the time during the black death, it was so extreme. And what that ended up doing was it completely changed life in Western Europe, like to the point where it really leveled society on so many, so many levels. levels. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just became like a great equalizer because for instance, women, you know, they never had any kind of rights, but you know, when all their husbands were dying, suddenly widows, you know, they had to feed themselves. They had to take care of their family. So the first time they were able to go to trade schools, they were able to own property, you know, they were able to, 
um, you know, do whatever it took to, um, you know, earn an income and take care of their family. And um, so that really made things a lot better for women. And even after, you know, after the couple hundred years when um, life went back to relatively normal, women were still better off. You know, that, that was a big breakthrough for rights of women. Um, at that time. And similar to, you know, the clergy lost a lot of their authority because they had always been telling people that like, oh, you only die and get disease if you're immoral and, you know, you haven't done all of your penance and you haven't given, you know, the church or whatever. But priests were dying like flies too, you know, they, and so people thought, well, wait a second, you know, maybe all that what you've been saying is just uh, superstition or not even not even really true. And so they lost authority. And then even the nobility was losing authority because suddenly the people that worked the land, the serfs, they, um, before they basically were working for nothing, for like room and board. And then when suddenly they were like limited, you know, their skills became really highly valued. And so suddenly there was a more you know, the nobility couldn't take advantage of, you know, all of the people that were working for them. They had to actually like pay them decent wages and things. So in every level of society, it really was a big breakthrough. It was a big opening. It was a big, um, you know, transformation in that way um, at a cost, obviously, because at the time there was no real public health. So then once they started focusing on how can we actually help people from a you know their scientific point of view, a health point of view, rather than um, what at the time was more sort of you know superstitious type of like healing, like you're sick because of you know whatever you didn't you didn't do enough prayer that night or you didn't something or you're just you know low class or something like that. They started seeing that like science actually has. Um, some value here. So, you know, again, that was what, 800 to 600 years ago, that last cycle. Yeah. Well, I have some exact dates because, you know, I like exactitude. So my Virgo Saturn is like, well, let us talk about that. And so what, what, to pull back just a little bit of what Christina and I are are referencing with this kind of like 200 year uh, time span is that, you know, Jupiter and Saturn, they conjunct uh, every 20 years roughly together. Um, And then uh, every about 200 to 240 years, depending on how it switches over, um, they will move into a new element. So they'll keep making the same conjunctions, conjunctions. in the same element over and over. And we've been in the earth element for uh, you know the past couple hundred years. We've been having some changeover, what's known as the great mutation since about the 1980s. And we know that the computer age definitely fit into that. Um, but we're now we're coming basically with this conjunction that's happening on, uh, you know, right after the solstice on the 21st, we are entering once again, this uh, Aquarius um, an air, you know, triplicity of, uh, you know, Saturn and Jupiter meeting. And the last time that happened was actually they, and it, it's, it's interesting because it replicates kind of the same process. Um, it entered an air triplicity with two degrees of Aquarius, uh, on March 4th, 1226. Um, so basically from 1226, which is interesting to think that Aquarius is the kickoff energy of, you know, the several years of, of air 
you know, meetings between Jupiter and Saturn, but it was really between 1226, um, and all the way up until you know the early 1400s that we were really under this um, air triplicity. Uh, and what's fascinating, and that and Christine is totally right, the Black Death, otherwise known as the bubonic plague, occurred during then. That was kind of it. Really, was only about four years, is like 1347 to 1351. But like as she pointed out, like that will change. Oh, no, 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 everything. It, it, no, it actually was a couple hundred years because it kept coming back. Coming back. In okay, I think yeah, that was it like would tra- it would travel over the world and then come back to Europe again. You know, it was just because well, they had no way of really stopping it at the time. Well, and that's a very interesting fact to play into this because um, I think that those four years was like the onset and like the, the onset. like the, yeah, like okay. the, the catastrophic, like, oh my God, life is changing. This is here. But what's fascinating about this time period um, is that before that happened in the 1200s, that was when um, Marco Polo began opening up the world with his travels, you know, over to the East, um, and getting, you know, spice trades going, um, you know, gaining knowledge of, you know, who else is out there for, you know, the Europeans and whatnot, learning several languages. So the idea of travel and opening up the world in many ways, which is definitely an air quality, um, and then could spread, like you said, you know, the, the disease after that fact, and we know we're, we're there again, because as we we become a globalized world. Um, and so we have to think about this, you know, the idea of transmission. Um, it's fascinating that that was the time when actually the world really opened up to even get us to the place where we're at today of like a globalized, you know, um, you know what I'm trying to say? I can't think of the other word. Neptune. Globalized society. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. Civilization, society, mm-hmm. all that. Um, yeah, and yeah. you know the what I found so interesting was right in that time period. I think it was in the 1300s that the word for quarantine first was you know came about, and that was because during the Black Death, mm-hmm. um, those uh, ships that would sail into like Milan, um, they were told that you know, anyone on the ships, you know, cause they were like delivering spices or what have you, um, goods. And they had to stay on the ship for 40 days. Cause at the time, 40 days, they felt like was enough time, you know, like if you were carrying something for it to go through mm. your system. And that's like the Italian word is like quarantina or something like that. And so it basically came to quarantine which is so strange that now, yeah. you know, we're having, I mean, there was, you know, there was other pandemics before, but now this, the fact that this is so front and center, just as Saturn had dipped its toe into Aquarius, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it's like, wow, I just was sort of blown away by that. And then um, just, you know, one last little thing about that time period is that was the precursor for um, the Renaissance, you know, Renaissance means like rebirth, right? So I think after all the deaths, after the Black Death, people were ready to be reborn. And and then eventually the Age of Enlightenment, you know? So now I don't think we're going to face, you know, that level of death. Think, you know, the thing is, is like when you think of, wow, what what human beings had to go through back then and the fact that they, you know, it, 
brought to their attention that health and public health is so important, that we all have to coordinate, you know, we all have to share information. Anyone involved in like science and health started like really, you know, they were in this together. They were like on the front lines or fighting something that just was an invisible enemy. And in some ways we're in sort of a, a whole other iteration of that now. Yeah. And well, and that's the beauty of time uh, is that we evolve over it. And so we never really uh, will encounter maybe the same stimulus um, to go through, but we're never going to really have quite the same results because hopefully we've evolved over time. Um, and what's interesting about the 1200s and the 1300s is literally the 1200s is kind of the last age of like pre-modern society, like if you're breaking it down like a history book. Um, and then 1300s is like the dawn of modern society. So we can think about just that switch and that we're about to be at that switch again, which of course, well, many of us are not going to live through completely because these are long cycles, but thinking about the, you know, what's on the brink for uh, humanity just in general as we get into this space. And so there's a couple other inventions that happened around that time, you know, because I'm sure a lot of us are sick of hearing about the pandemic and spreading disease, even though that is a reality of what is happening right now. Um, but, a, you know, a couple of other inventions that happened during that time that you can really think about how much it changed the course of history is um, gunpowder, gunpowder and um, uh, cannons and handguns, like the gun itself. And we know how much that has, you know, played out over time. Um, buttons for clothing, like how we even like, you know, like facilitate, like, cause you know, I, when I think about Aquarius and, and air in general, these can be inventions and ideas that help move things forward. Um, we got windmills, that helped to power grain, uh, you know, grain Ooh, mills yay. and water pumps, you know, those Air types of energy. things. Air energy, mm -hmm. um, uh, mining inventions, um, eyeglasses to which to see, which Christina and I are both wearing them right now. I can't imagine not having eyeglasses. Yeah, I, me I either. Like, practically, I mean, yeah. like having to feel my way through. The Where am I? Um, <laughs> But in like modern glass making, like, and think about everything that we use with glass and all that. But what was fascinating to me, Christina, was that during the 1300s is when mechanical clocks were invented and which really changed the perception of time itself. And, you know, like, and that's, a, that's kind of like a mind expander, like, oh, you know, because we live on our clock. We live on our, you know, like this is exactly how this is going to go. This is the calendar. This is how many, day, you know, time I have in the day. When they used to live by like, I guess the sun and then yeah. also whether it's a new moon or like a full moon and <laughs> things like that. Yeah. So oh, I would love to go back to those times. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So that, that kind of blew my mind just a little bit. And I know the clock hasn't always been around, of course, but you know, and maybe you can speak to this too, just having so much Capricorn energy, just kind of living by the clock or the schedule or what it needs, you know, like we're all running on, on this, this, you know, preconceived time track of like linear reality. Um, and this kind of came into being in a very, you know, more finite way during this changeover of energy. So that was wow, interesting. Like that would be, see, that is one of the things with Aquarius is sort of what blows your mind, you know? I mean, even just think about at the time when 
this whole pandemic first happened and going to the grocery store and like, you know, seeing that like you can only go down the aisle one way or, you know, and every two minutes they're <laughs> saying, stay six feet apart, wear your mask. You know, it just feels like I had just been watching Chernobyl before that, you know, like yeah. a few months before. And I was like, what is like, where are we living? And so it's those things that kind of blow your mind. And so I love the fact that you're saying that, you know, the clock that had to really just blow people's mind around and change their whole lives yeah. around the concept of time. I have this great Oracle deck, the mystical shaman Oracle deck that I love it. That was created by Colette Baron Reed. And I actually, my shamanic, um, mentor, Alberto Lodo. And, um, I always get, I swear to God, whenever I get super stressed, I pull this one card that says the time, uh, the time master. Mm. And it reminds me that time is a construct that I actually do have plenty of time. I don't need to just, you know, force my life to fit in these little, like, you know, little sort of pockets of time. And um, I think it's so important to remind, I think so many of us are tired and sick of having to to constantly rush, to constantly be in scarcity mode and things like that, because it, you know, other people uh, exploit that. And um, it was actually a mentor of mine who had said something like, because I remember there was um, one gal in a group I was in that had said, oh, I haven't, I haven't achieved anything yet. And the girl was like in her thirties or something. I'm like, oh, honey, whatever. You're still a child. But um, this, uh, the mentor of mine had said, you know, there's so many marketers that just stay up day and night that just try to make us feel we're behind, Mm -hmm. you know, tap into our greatest fears of failure and of scarcity and things like that. And then it becomes, we buy into that. And then we make that mean something about who we are and our own value. Mm -hmm. And we need to undo that, you know? So, so much actually comes in. We think we're being more efficient and in some ways, you know, it is helpful. Like say, look, you know, with the, with this vaccine, you know, it, we had said before, it was said that it takes like what, two to four years to get a vaccine, you know, to market normally Mm -hmm. in normal time. That's normally fast. And now we've had it, it sounds like it's coming out in less than a year. Now that is like, you know, operation warp speed, you know, like that is, that's bending time in some way. It's interesting that they use that phrase, right? Because they're just like, we're throwing out the rule book when it comes to to time. So we may see a different concept of time. I would love to think that there may be something that, you know, we're unaware of that we become aware of when it comes to the concept of time. Um, I'll have to look at what time period he was talking about. I don't think it was... 1300s, but it was um, the in the beginning of Cosmos and Psyche, uh, Rictarnus's mm-hmm. book. I just love those first couple of chapters that talk about um, how you know the discovery of when it was discovered that the the world was actually round and not flat that they, or no, sorry, not the round, not that. It was when they discovered that the planets revolved around the sun, sun. Mm -hmm. right? Not the other way around. I don't know if it was Copernicus or whoever. I feel like that's right, but we'll have to look it up. Fact check. Fact check. (laughs) Newton and all them, they, um, 
they just, it was like a spiritual awakening for them. He was like, we don't, you know, we need to sort of take a moment to appreciate that they were, their minds were blown and they were actually under the threat of being persecuted for that and jailed and like heresy and all this stuff. Um, because what they were saying was like so crazy to, you know, the, the normal way of thinking. Thought, yeah. yeah. But when they, and there was like a group, you know, the small group of the, these, you know, cosmonauts or whatever that really like came to that awareness and it was just amazing. And he said, I love the line where he says, where Tarnas says that, you know, when we discover things about the universe and the cosmos, it's like it was made for us to discover. It was waiting for the human mind to make that connection Mm -hmm. between how the cosmos works and the human mind to like just integrate that that wisdom and that knowledge. And I think that's so amazing. So, and we know that it's infinite, you know, that we only use a certain small part of our brains. And so it's just a matter of something coming along. That's true. (laughs) That's like based in some kind of reality that then we can kind of integrate and, and align with. And then when it changes the whole way that all of us live and have a concept of being, then that's truly groundbreaking. Yeah. I love that because when you're talking, when we're talking about things such as time and reality um, and and innovating our concept of what that is, you know, we're coming to Saturn to some extent. And that's, you know, traditionally speaking, Saturn is, you know, the daytime ruler of Aquarius. Now with modern rulerships, you'll see Uranus thrown in there for Aquarius, but um, I'm kind of speaking on the Saturn. I'm speaking on behalf of Saturn today. Um, And, uh, it's fascinating to me of having Saturn in Aquarius and, and tapping into that invention of time, right? Or innovating time in some way. And I totally, when you were talking about earlier, like feeling the burden of time as you get older, of like, do I have enough time to do this? Or, you know, um, and I, I feel that way a lot. And I think a lot of people with uh, Capricorn or heavy Saturn energy kind of tap into that, or maybe that's even part of Saturn return as you get serious about things. Cause you're like, do I have enough time? You know, and time, like you said, is just this construct. Um, and I've been doing a lot of meditate Well, I do a lot of meditation as it is, but some of the, some of the messages that have been coming to me a lot is, or, is don't worry you have enough time. Like what your biggest struggles are coming along because you feel like you don't have enough time. Um, and that is a societal, uh, you know, conditioning of what the acceptable, acceptable timeline is for, you know, human life or to uh, accomplishment or achievement on whatever grounds that might be on. And so, you know, there is enough time and you are enough and you can like tell yourself Mm -hmm. these things so that we realize that time is just that it's a construct. And so that might be part of what I'd like to think is the innovation as we go through uh, Aquarius and we have more, um, you know, really during this whole age, we're going to have more elderly people than we've ever had on this planet. Um, and there's going to be room for people of, you know, older years to be able to be a functioning, contributing part of society um, in in many ways. And so, yeah, just the in, innovating time um, 
inventing a different concept with it. Who knows, you know, maybe by the end of it all, we'll finally figure out time travel or like warping through like different senses of dimensions. And because you, you never know, we've come so far in 200 years in our like technological advancements. Like I, I, I'm sure if we fast forwarded to the end of this whole period we are about to enter, our, our minds would be blown as to where we'll be. Oh yeah. I mean, and God, just think about all the generations that have, you know, that are a bit younger than us that have come up, grown up with, you know, smartphones and the internet and stuff like that. I mean, in some ways, you know, you, you're going to kind of feel bad for them because I think our childhood, you know, those of us that grew up, say like in the nineties, eighties and nineties, you know, it was so innocent compared to now with all this online cyberbullying and um, and I mean, there's a lot of potential for young people, but there's also a lot of you know living in your phone, living in this mm-hmm. online world, wanting to be elsewhere than you are, and not in you know your own reality. And I actually think that mm. that is a little bit of something that when we think about, can we maintain our humanity when so much is going so fast, you know, when there's such pressure to keep up with all this and, you know, when we are in sort of lockdown or in, maybe we'll have, um, I mean, I think we will have continued need for, you know, uh, different levels probably of, uh, whether it's isolation or lockdown or separation from people, you know, social distancing still. And what does that do to us? Like to not be able to hug one another and touch one another and that be extended, you know? Um, so I think we need to consciously maintain our humanity. What ultimately makes mm. us human? You know, I think that's the first big question. Mm. That is a great question. That is a great question because we don't want to forget that because we don't want to stray from ourselves. Because if you're innovating a new world into into being, um, we don't want to get so far from the essence of what humanity is that we create a dystopian society instead of a utopian society. Um, And that can be hard when we're navigating these ships like we're navigating right now. Um, And not only just this year and the kind of the social distancing aspect that you were just mentioning, but just thinking about the last 40 years. um, And like you're saying, the, um, the generations that are being brought up under this, you know, technological umbrella and how it is so much different than what we were raised under uh, and that thread of humanity of like just being human without that kind of detached um, alternative reality of like being in this little, this little box or this little screen. Um, and so it is important that we, like, we pull back in order to touch into that before we just keep innovating forward, it seems. Um, and it may be some time to get there to what that next thing is. Because when we think about just the internet in general, like it's like, okay, well, when was the internet released? Because obviously that changed all of our lives. I was just going to say that. I was you? just going to say that because I looked that up at one point. Did you? Yeah. So, so technically it was released to the public officially on April 30th of 1993, which is really funny, Christina, because uh, Saturn, Saturn was at- Aquarius. 29 degrees Aquarius, the last degree of Aquarius. Yeah. Okay, wait a second, because my were, the date I found had Saturn at zero Aquarius when um, it was 
launch to the public. So I think there are a bunch of different dates, but which would have probably been what, um, what, what date did you just say? April 30th, uh, 93. Okay. Cause I think I'm looking at maybe 91. I didn't bring that date with me, but I, I remember reading at some point cause I looked up the chart and Saturn was at zero Aquarius and um, I thought, wow, so it's having its Saturn return now. And remember just when Saturn was at the beginning of Aquarius in the spring, uh, just now 2020, and everybody was on Zoom. And then yeah. it like kind of people were like having pro- you know, problems connecting online or on Zoom or whatever, because there was just so many people all of a sudden on it. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe that's the Saturn return. Well, okay. So this date and what it means by coming to the public was this is when it was, this was the day that it was announced that the internet was for everybody. So the internet had already been there, but this is when the web became public domain for all to use at the very Mm -hmm. end of Aquarius. Um, And so that decision basically altered, you know, everything going forward. Because if, you know, if they kept the internet under wraps for only, you know, uh, government use or, you know, things along those lines, it wouldn't have changed society in the way that it ended up doing. So that's just so interesting to think of, especially as we sit at the 29th degree of Saturn and Capricorn, as we have this conversation, what the 29th degree of Aquarius will mean once we get there um, in a couple of years time and what... Okay, so I'm looking up... Yeah, it says... The World Wide Web open to the public. Now, just it being open to the public may or may not be anything that great. And that was August 6, 1991. So let me just put that date in real quick. August 6, 1991. And that was, um, yeah, that was Saturn at two degrees Aquarius opposite Uranus. I mean, sorry, opposite um, Chiron actually in Leo. It's so interesting. But um, yeah, and then essentially in Capricorn was Uranus, Neptune. Oh, that's the difference is because that was the world's first website. That was the day that the world got its first website. It Um, says um, the World Wide Web became publicly available. Its creator, the now internationally known Tim Berners-Lee, posted a short summary of the project on this news group and gave birth to a new technology, which would fundamentally change the world as we know it. Okay. So there's, I know there's several so different that's, But that's dates. perfect though. Like think about mm-hmm. it is like, here's this person's introducing this first one and like introducing us to this technology and showing what's capable. And then by the end of the Saturn, the Saturn transit in Aquarius, then it now it's like, launched all of you can use it, you know, like this isn't just yeah, for us okay, scientists. So it says here in 1991, there was no fanfare in the global press. Yeah. So I think it was just, they're like, whatever. You know, that. <laughs> <laughs> That's for like the, what What did they call it? The nerds or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How can I use this? What good is this for me? You know? Uh-huh. Oh, I love that. Cause it takes time, right? Christine, it takes time for technology to be like kind of relevant to some mm-hmm. degree, like, like kind of what you were saying earlier with the idea of all the planets revolving around the sun uh, and, and people just being like with common thought, well, like, well, is that even true? Or how can that, you know, 
what good is that for me? You know, I think there is an adjustment period um, that needs to happen when we are introduced to things that can be so mind blowing that we got to wrap our heads around that. And there could be resistance too. And that could be part of like the Aquarius, um, you know, energy that we have to navigate because Aquarius can be very inventive um, and forward thinking and willing to go out on a limb for, you know, uh, um, innovation, but it can also be very rigid in its approach to just being fixed air and, you know, always thinking a certain way or like being stuck in this approach. So that's interesting to think about too, as we navigate these, you know, these next couple of years with, you know, Well, look at all the resistance in 2020 to changing, you know, the ways of being. I mean, like, I I feel bad for a lot of parents that had to suddenly they had their kids at home and then, you know, they had to juggle that and had to learn how to teach their kids and put their kids on Zoom and things like that. And even still, they're saying that a lot of young people in, in high school and college and stuff are like failing because they don't know how to... Their whole world has changed by just having online classes. And um, so now for them, it might not be resistance um, as much as it is just having to adapt, you Mm -hmm. know? And Mm. so we have to adapt fast and in new ways. And it's almost like growing a new limb or like something like that, you know? I mean, it's just everything has changed. Um, And our concept of time. I mean, as I said uh, I was telling you, like pretty much all year, I've been partnering with um, Shireen Vismaya, who is a Jungian analyst and an astrologer. And we've done courses together and we're about to launch our summit um, right at Sol- Solstice Weekend, the Aquarius Rising Reimagined. And she's living in India. She went to India. She goes there once a year, apparently, to Alma's ashram um, to be you know, part of that experience. But she usually only stays a month. And in January, then they said, um, oh. well, you know, you have to either you get on the plane back to San Francisco like tomorrow or you're staying the year. And she was just like, mm, okay, I guess I'll stay. And so she's been there all year. And she, you know, she's basically, she's awake when I'm asleep and I'm awake <laughs> when she's asleep. So we just leave each other messages on WhatsApp as much as we can and hope that we can, you know, so we're in this weird, like timeless kind of like, and then when we try to connect in time, we're like, okay, well, tomorrow, was that your tomorrow or my tomorrow? Or, you know, we have this little sweet spot at like 11 a.m. Eastern, which is like, I think 10 p.m. her time or something like oh, wow. that. And so sometimes we see each other live for like an hour. But, and I just think more and more of that, like um, having to adapt to this more interconnected world, you know, it's like, where are you? your people at? Who are you serving? When do you have to be awake? Or do you even have to be, you know, can you just, you know, meet people in what's quote unquote real time? That's going to get more and more of that. Well, well, you saying that makes me think um, immediately uh, about, you know, Zoom chats like we're having right now and, you know, paired with the social distancing element that has been sprung upon us um, and how we are still finding that we need this connection, but it's going to have to play out through Zoom. And I'm wondering 
if more and more of what we call our, you know, our friend, you know, because Aquarius is very into friendships and communities and things along those lines too. And we're going to find that the people that we're connecting with are going to be sparsed out more, kind of like you and Shireen, um, you know, across the globe and where maybe before you'd have like a handful of friends that you'd maybe go to the local, you know, restaurant or pub with or something to get a drink. Instead, you're like, you know, communing with this person over in this country or this state or that. And then you're forming these, you know, interconnected uh, alliances with people that are just not even in your proximity. And it has the distance of Saturn and that distance of Aquarius, but it's also this more broadened, um, you know, intellectualization of community with it. So I think that's going to be uh, very much part of where we're going with all this as, as time goes on. It might be more prevalent this year too, just because of societal circumstance. Yes. And like when we think of Jupiter is very expansive and Saturn contracts, you know, um, and in, in Capricorn, they both really took on that sort of, you know, cause Saturn ruling Capricorn, they took that Capricornian quality. And then as you said, um, Saturn is the ancient ruler of Aquarius. So Jupiter is going to still be answering to <laughs> yeah. Saturn too. But I think Jupiter is going to be like, yay, I'm free. What I'm seeing is, you know, when Jupiter then, you know, they have their conjunction and then Jupiter, the faster planet is going to be running on ahead, you know? And so I think, you know, there may be some feeling like, okay, we're in a new world. You know, I have to make new connect connections and new networks and new friends and new, but that Saturn will really test the integrity of what will last, what will really have structure. I mean, I see Saturn and Aquarius like trying to make the abstract real, you know, it's mm -hmm. like if we, we know we wanted to tear down the patriarchy or tear down the old or whatever it is, but then what, you know, I mean, what happens when there's like an open space? I mean, sometimes that can be dangerous. I can leave open a space yes. for something even, even more shadowy or dark to come through unless we really have a vision. But the thing is Jupiter is off, often also associated with a vision. You know, what is our mm -hmm. vision with Saturn coming along behind it? It's like, okay, well then let's have the vision, but also do the work to make that real in new ways. Um, you know, I, again, like Aquarius confounds me as far as like, as I said, I don't have any personal planets in it, but um, I think if we can know that we'll be asked to live, behave and relate and connect in new ways that are, you know, that we haven't been used to before. And as we've said before, that Jupiter and Saturn meeting in Aquarius, that has not happened for more than 600 years. Yeah. You know, so no one alive has had this particular experience and we're about to all experience it collectively together. Yeah. And so that you can give yourself a little room as Aquarius likes its space and knowing that, you know, we're all in this together and we're going to be navigating something that is foreign to us all. Um, and I think Jupiter is going to be much more happy in Aquarius as well. It's still going to be under Saturn's domain, as you just pointed out. Um, but, you know, Jupiter and Saturn both are daytime planets and Capricorn is a night sign um, there. So, you know, there's not as much support in for either one of those planets, I guess, um, in even like a more collective sphere. And so I think that having that daytime support of uh, just Aquarius as a diurnal sign is going to be very helpful 
um, with the forward progress that we're going to be in, in that space and that air and just feeling like, oh, well, we're finally moving in some way. And to have, and, and like you pointed out too, of like Jupiter just kind of rocketing ahead because Aquarius as a sign is actually rather uh, quick to move through um, time-wise. And, and Jupiter is going to go all the way through Aquarius and make it into Pisces on, on May, uh, you know, like in May, on May 13th. So there... time that Jupiter moved that fast because I usually expect Jupiter, okay, it's for the year we got Jupiter in this sign. But then, yeah, seeing Jupiter dip into Pisces, it's like, wow. Um, that's going to bring in a whole new... Yeah, so we have like the whole summer, like my solar return has Jupiter and Pisces in it. So there's like a whole, uh, you know, like there's this, you know, mid-May through I think maybe like late July-ish somewhere. I'd have to, you'd have to pull out the ephemeris for that. Um, but we're going to get a taste of Jupiter in Pisces in its own domicile and like getting out from under Saturn for a hot mm-hmm. second to get into <laughs> Jupiter territory um, in the middle of 2021. And so that should be an interesting time period too, as we dance between kind of Pisces and Aquarius energy uh, and what that can mean to what Jupiter can bring to the table mm-hmm. to then introduce back in to uh, Aquarius. Um, and of course, they're never going to meet again. It's just that one, st- you know, one stop shop <laughs> of like around the solstice, but still, um, it'll be interesting to see what Jupiter then brings back from Pisces to be once again under Saturn's domain. So we can kind of lay it down, um, in reality. Well, you know, if you think of one thing that Achuta Bhava had said, um, to me on my podcast last year was that, which I, this really stuck with me and I'm, I'm glad he mentioned it. When we think of say, you mental trauma or even collective trauma, because we've all been going through a certain amount of trauma, which is, you know, things happen that we're not ready for. And the psyche doesn't really know how to deal with it. And there's, you know, maybe we're in shock or maybe we freeze or maybe, you know, we deal with it however we deal with it or panic, anxiety, things like that. And, you know, a lot of people are in sort of a low grade anxiety at the very least. And I think with Jupiter... In Aquarius, um, you know, for some it could be because Jupiter can just like expand what's happening. Um, but then I think, you know, Jupiter being in an air sign, I think if we can learn to take, you know, advantage of the the opportunities, however they show up, because mm-hmm. Jupiter is ultimately opportunity, and have a restored faith. I feel like Jupiter may may help us restore faith in the future. Yeah. Um, but then when Jupiter goes into Pisces, like you know, as we know, Pisces often does deal with things like processing, emotional processing. Mm. You know, which sometimes we have to. It's said that when people are going through active sort of trauma, like say someone was, you know, in a traumatic situation, whether it be war or an abusive experience, and then they just have to keep going and survive. But then when they finally get to a place where they maybe feel kind of safe and they can Mm. relax, then everything comes out. All the grief or the, you know, emotions that have been pent up or have been buried, then it sort of starts to flow, which we may see that, um, 
on some level with Jupiter in Pisces. And I think that can be good for us to finally process, to finally mm-hmm. let things go. Now, Jupiter in Pisces, you know, we know Jupiter expands things. Pisces is boundaryless. It's, you know, dissolves boundaries, um, which I think from an emotional standpoint, I, you know, especially if Jupiter being the ancient, as you said, ruler of Pisces, um, there can be a lot of beautiful sort of transcendental potential with that. Um, I think the fear is that if we get too confident and then we don't, you know, uh, honor social distancing or whatever oh, um, yeah. guidelines we need to, then there, that could either bring back the virus or another virus or something else that will spread um, if we're not being um, vigilant, you know, yeah. during that time. That's a good point. Those are all good points. Um and especially the emotional processing that you're saying, like finally getting to that space. Because that's the thing with Aquarius energy is that it is can be very detached mm-hmm. um, in the sense that, you know, like it, it's coming from this intellectual realm, which it steps far enough away that it might not, you know, deal with things, uh, especially people that have like, you know, kind of Scorpio Aquarius squares in their chart, um, where there could be the intensity of the Scorpio emotion through things such as trauma. Um, but it's like compartmentalized in some sort of intellectual way or pushed out to the outskirts, uh, of feeling with the Aquarius energy. And so that's important like because disassociation even, is yeah, ex- yeah. Extreme, you know, feeling dissociated. Like they often say like it was Patricia, Walsh, who I've taken, you know, some of her workshops and I just love her work with, you know, she does, um, it's a sort of kind of past life work. She doesn't like it to call it regression. Um, it is, um, it's called heal the past. I forgot the name of what she calls it, but, um, this sun Neptune isn't helping me today, but, um, (laughs) it'll come to me, but it's basically where the body remembers all of your past, you know, your traumas, your past life energy, things like that. And, um, you know, she has said that in a lot of work where people, you know, they want to help others escape from, say, difficult emotions or trauma, then we see a lot of this whole, like, almost floating above it or like Mm. transcending trauma or something like that. But when we're not in our bodies, then that can lead to dissociation. That's actually what happens when the body is so, you know, experiencing some kind of a shock or some kind of a trauma that it doesn't feel safe to be in the body. Um, And so we try to escape from it. But we, what we want to do is then reintegrate, actually, because there may be a time. I mean, this is the way that the psyche actually can help one survive and not completely break. You know, sometimes we do have to be dissociated, um, but that can be that can become something. I mean, I'm not a psychotherapist, but my understanding is that can become like neurotic or it can become something that is unhelpful to us, where we don't feel connected to ourselves, we don't feel embodied. Uh, we don't feel like we are connected to our emotions. We can't process them um, because they're fragmented. You know, that's why sometimes when, if people have s- sort of a past trauma and then maybe they hear a sound or have a smell or, or you know, see something that's totally not connected to anything, but it suddenly, you know, because what had happened is like in the trauma, they suddenly become fractured. Mm. You know, and then it can take one little thing that seems unrelated that then suddenly puts back together all those pieces 
that they never processed before. So I think, you know, on the good side of Aquarius, as you said, being objective and being more detached and, and not overly emotional because sometimes we just have to get things done and not put too much emotion or thought to it. But then when we do have the experience, like we eventually we will have to process. If at some point we will have to process all this trauma, it will come up, you know? And I do think that Jupiter and and Pisces may be one of those things. And it may be on a collective level because we're all dealing with it on our own individual levels, obviously. But I think collectively we may see that. I mean, fortunately with Jupiter being a planet that is associated with things like, you know, beneficence and stuff like that, that, um, you know, I'm hoping that we can find maybe even a spiritual, you know, reason for... Having to go through this because, you know, when you're in it, isn't always the best time to say, well, we're being taught a lesson by mother nature. I mean, yeah, people are saying that, but like right now we kind of got to get through it. You know, we're kind of just like, you know, it's time to pivot and whatever, but maybe we'll have more space to then say, okay, you know, we were, we have to learn something from this, you know? And as Shireen has said, we can't, if it, you know, if we do get sort of released from some of this prison at some point, we shouldn't forget the lessons of this time. We didn't go through all this to not change. You know, the worst that could happen is that we try to go back to who we were or how we were and how we, you know, raped and pillaged the earth basically, you know? So the, the, if there is a lesson, it's that we must change. Yeah. Well, we just have to get to the 2020 hindsight, pun intended, I suppose, um, that maybe that's what we can process when Jupiter's there. But you know, what's interesting to me is you pointing out the like disassociation or the, uh, in, you know, disembodiment and maybe the swing that's actually going to happen as we get adjusted into this air energy, because we just went through, you know, Saturn, Jupiter and Pluto, uh, in, Capricorn, which was very embodied, like so much so that we're, it's like you almost couldn't escape like how yeah, and buried, exactly. And so here we're going to get to this part where, you know, it's going to rise us above in some ways, which can be great, but we can't like detach from it so much that we're not connected to what that experience was anymore. So I feel like it might feel like kind of a seesaw effect um, in some, you know, where we're, we're going to some sort of extreme um, in, in the feeling realm of it um, and being really connected um, in the physical space of how all this change uh, in, what, in this new era that is upon us and how it's being processed. So I think that would be just probably a good rule of thumb to get through as we get introduced to all this Aquarius energy, but also as we move through it over the next couple of years, especially with Saturn there, is to purposely ground and embody yourself and like like get the best of both worlds. Because it's going to... like We realized that 2020, we had to kind of like really... Um, we had to work at rising above it and seeing the higher perspective and getting the air energy of it. Luckily, we have the nodes here, which is kind of helping with that um, in Gemini. Uh, but we're going to have to do the reverse during all the Aquarius energy and, and purposely ground and get connected and back to to the earth. So yeah, both, both times we have to kind of work for the other side of things to balance out in some way. 
Yeah, I'll be glad when Mars is finally out of Aries. Oh, yes. That happens, what, in, in January when Mars... Like, I think January 6th or something like that. It's, it's in beginning of January. Because I think that was another part. You talked about like the resistance, you know, to like things were moving fast this year in 2020, but there was so much resistance to it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, granted, like you said, Aquarius being a, a fixed sign, sometimes that is that, you know, resistance to, to go into it, but also with Mars being an Aries for nearly six months now and in, you know, in the sign of the warrior, the independent one, the, you know, the wanting to do what's right for me, getting mine and then going retrograde and having that whole mess. Um, you know, I, there was a great article that had said something like, in America, because we are the country of the pioneer, you know, mm. and like doing what's best for me and getting mine and stuff, that really backfired on us. And I, for me, the, the key word for Mars and Aries retrograde this year was backfire. Because <laughs> there's so many backfiring. But like what we were so proud of and what has made, I mean, think about you know, like that was from, you know, the 1700s and there's still something within every American that kind of knows that like, you kind of got to do it yourself. You know, you can't expect, you know, uncle Sam's going to like give you a safety net or whatever. And this year we had a whole other lesson, you know, kind of thrust upon us about, you know, my health isn't just my health, you know, it could affect, you know, anyone. I come and it can affect the collective and, and everybody else's health can affect me. So we realize how deeply interconnected we really are and that we, you know, need to do something about that. I mean, no matter how much say certain people have thrived during this time, I and mean, we can't ignore that there's a lot of other people that, you know, have completely lost jobs and lost their livelihood and, you know, and some people have learned to pivot and even that can take time, but there's others that just don't have that capacity. So we can't ignore that, that like yeah. we're all in this together and so on some level. And even though we're not in the same boat, we're all on in this. We're in the same ocean. <laughs> um, they, well, and that's a great point. I love the term backfire with Mars and Aries. And of course, you know, that can really relate to Mars being in retrograde, uh, you know, for much of the fall and going through the squares with the Capricorn planets. But we have to remember that- science. You know, yeah. the science, I think, it, like, didn't really help. help. But, <laughs> it, but this is the thing, is that Mars is basically, Mars was the whole precursor to what Aquarius is going to look like, because Mars made a conjunction with Saturn right when it went into Aquarius. So the whole Mars-Saturn cycle is set up at zero degrees Aquarius, which Jupiter and Saturn are about to light up again. So Mars is in, at least with its uh, Saturnian component, is in an Aquarius cycle. And so even though it's been going through Aries and having you know that Aries agenda, it's still seated uh, with what it's stabilizing in kind of like a structure and what it's like aiming towards um, in like the achievement this time around and those Saturnian, you know, kind of energies is an Aquarius space. So we had to go through understanding itself in its most primal form of Aries and how that, like you said, could backfire when we have an Aquarius agenda that is really the biggest motivator that Mars needs to be working for in some way. Yeah, because that sort of independent streak, 
Um, even say, look at all the different states in the United States that were not yeah. coordinating. And there was a, a report in the New York Times that said that, you know, Europe's response had been a lot more united, you know, to the pandemic, mm-hmm. whatever, because they were, I mean, they had, I mean, like say Belgium, for instance, and Italy, they were some of the hardest hit places and they wanted to know how can we get this under control? So all the countries would share information. Plus people over there are used to the government, like being in their business and stuff like that all the time. So they kind of, they're a little more trusting to the governor, a little bit more open, like just in a general sense. And um, whereas in America, no, we don't try, you know, we don't want anybody in our business, you know, like, it's like, I want to be free. I want to be independent, but um, you know, are we going to be able to pass this test with um, Saturn going into Aquarius? You know, we may have to, to temper some of what we are known for. And I think maybe this could also be another part of that uh, Pluto, America's Pluto return. You know, everything that we've known America and Americans to be, that is under a real big metamorphosis right now. I mean, the biggest thing I have seen so much online is um, whenever anybody says anything about like universal healthcare or anything like that to like help people that have been affected by all this, you hear, um, but America is not a socialist country. That's just not who America is. And um, I mean, I'm not saying we are, we aren't, but I'm just saying that like our definition of America is changing how we were um, formed all of that, it's like, I think because of this Pluto return, it still is a couple of years away, right? It's 2022, mm-hmm. maybe? Uh, tw- uh, I think, I think 20, so. 20, because it's 27 degrees. Um, I was, um, here, I have, I actually have the chart up right now of, um, so it will be 2022, February 2022. Um July 2022 and December 2020. We're not even there yet. (laughs) I mean, for an exact, you know, to be exactly the degree, we're in it though. But I think it's a matter of thinking like, who are we? You know, who are we now? And how much, I mean, just look at the symbolism of all these statues being torn down, these, um, you know, civil war, monuments and things like that well, that were so much about forming who we were at the time. I think what how that's going to play out maybe, uh, especially as we were talking about, you know, Jupiter and Saturn just being in Aquarius earlier, is that, um, you know, the United States has, in our chart, we have which the moon in Aquarius, which is representative of the people in any type of, um, you know, mundane country chart. And so we're basically going to have, you know, at least Jupiter here in 2021, making conjunctions to the U.S. moon. Um, The first one is April 21st, 2020, well, next year, April 21st, then August 21st, and then December 11th for a final pass. So, you know, we can kind of look to those times as some sort of growth spurt for the American people and what we represent in this Aquarius space, um, I think. And of course, you know, Saturn is going to then come along. um, And Saturn doesn't actually get there until... 2023. <laughs> so Saturn is going to, oh, yeah, that's interesting, Christina, is that Saturn's going to get to conjunct the moon um, of the American people after the Pluto return. So first we get the Jupiter kind of energy, 
then Pluto returns, uh, you know, in 2022. And then in early 2023, Saturn's going to be like, okay, now I'm here. Um, (laughs) So Pluto return plus Saturn on the moon in the U.S. chart. Hmm. Yikes. Well, <laughs> well, maybe that could be an organizing, organizing the people it could in some be the, way the, through the change, you know, like consolidate and solidify yeah. what, you know, the, the people actually finally do want. It could be that, or it could be like total, like, um, anarchy or. Yeah. Or, well, we'll try not to go to the dark side. We're hoping that maybe the, we're hoping that maybe Jupiter, as it goes over the moon in 2021, that three-time pass will give us some like you know keystones. But I think um, okay, so we are like we're whittling away our time here. So I think we should get kind of kind of to too. the to the fun part where let us brainstorm uh, potentials of like you know the sun squaring Neptune right now. Who knows what Christine and I are going to be? Yeah, able to we were going to talk about this for an hour, and now we're at the last. I'm so sorry if anybody tuned in for an hour of human potential. Um, but uh, no, I think, time. well, I think that we covered a lot of like, sometimes you got to cover backstory and get to where mm-hmm. that might be in order to understand what's possible beyond that. Um, so, okay. So the idea is like thinking of all the potentials, you know, that humans can create because, you know, think about air signs just in general is uh, air signs have aspiration behind them. Air sign yeah. is about what the possibilities are. Aquarius is a fixed sign, you know, Saturn, Saturnian sign or add the Uranian energy to it. And so it has a fixed quality that can really stabilize um, and bring structure to and and innovate in some way. And so that's kind of why we're thinking of what's the potential of innovation and upgrading, um, which are really points of evolution. But we spoke a little bit about, yeah, the time thing. Yes, we did. But let's think about, let's just brainstorm. Okay. So we're going to brainstorm socially, creatively, slash artistically, technologically speaking, maybe psychically speaking. So let's start with social. Um, Social innovation, social, okay. Well, we kind of talked about Zoom and maybe connecting in these, you know, kind of far and wide in more, you know, common space. Um, What else can we say about social? There's a book that everyone keeps recommending to me um, that, God, I need to read it, but um, I'll just mention it now that I keep hearing it's The Art of Gathering. And um, I don't know if it was really specific. I I think it was probably written a couple of years ago, but it's, you know, people really need to understand what the sort of impulses to gather and to connect. And so, because so many people are so sick of these one-way webinars or these like talking at you on Zoom and, you know, things like that. So it's like finding new ways to connect where we are truly gathering and we're seen. I mean, also even on Zoom, sometimes it's just so much to, when people started saying like, oh, you know, let's gather on Zoom like you know, this evening for like social and I'm going, I'm on Zoom all day, all the time. Like, I don't want to do that, like, you know, with social, whatever. So I'm hoping that we do things other than Zoom, you know, other than just seeing, like maybe I personally love a phone call. I mean, I personally love just the voice and hearing, like getting, you know, back to some of those things, but maybe there'll be new ways where we can like speak and connect in ways that, you know, our sort of energy fields are starting, you know, they, they connect more. Like when we 
take the time to do a Zoom or a call. And I think that any of these new social connections need to be able to have some space for some kind of intimacy. You know, mm. it's like, what is intimacy in this sort of online world? You know where that took me? And of course, this might be farther off in the future, but, but that's what we're here. We're here to kind of brainstorm all, you know, maybe 200 years of time even, um, is wouldn't it be like my mind imagined holographic um, connection where, you know, rather than get, maybe it's like a sort of call, but instead maybe a hologram image of one another, uh, meets within your room where you are live and maybe you're talking to like three or four other people and then their holograms are somehow projected through some sort of screen, uh, to where it's more in person. Um, and, and in connecting and like it feels like it's live in your in your space but it's you know obviously the projection of a hologram I, think I would like that because sitting at a computer and eh, like wouldn't it be nice to sit on your couch with somebody like your old friend or at the dining table or something like that i mean yeah that would be amazing yeah. And you're, they're there, you hear them, but you're not squished. Uh, you know, you're not staring at a screen. You can move around. Uh, maybe they even move around within their, I, you know, I got to work out those specifics. Um, but like, yeah, it would, it would just be interesting to have that type of projection. And I don't think it's really that far off of, of reality, you know? And you know, it's so funny. I, sometimes you wonder like, the powers that be, maybe they're like already getting us prepared mentally for certain things because it seemed like in the past few years, I started noticing so many, and I'm not into sci-fi show. I mean, that's just, I like drama, whatever, but there were so many shows that were kind of like transcending the whole like drama sci-fi that were about like human type of robots and like Westworld. Did you ever watch Westworld? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would watch Westworld to look for you know, the coming future potentially. And also humans. Did you see that BBC uh, series humans? That is similar. I, I actually think it's probably the cheaper version of <laughs> Westworld. Because I think it came before Westworld, but it was basically, at first it was like, you know, um, home domestic servants or something like that, that just looked really real. And then it's like, did they have consciousness? So it's like, you know, the upgrade is to get like the robot with some seemingly consciousness. It seems like they have feelings. It seems like they have, you know, they can think for themselves. And then what happens is there's always a rogue robot that like, you know, somehow, I don't know, their consciousness like levels were off the charts or I don't know. And then they try to like rebel against, I mean, who knows if they're, so you don't know if they're friendly or they're not. Mm. I've actually even seen, I saw something came up my feed, someone um, hosting a call on like AI, you know, artificial intelligence and saying why we don't need to be afraid of them. Why, you know, there's all these different levels of AI and there's so many that can be of help to us first. And I'm going, until we know there's some kind of ethics, this is what I'm talking about in maintaining our humanity, mm. is until there are some ethical laws around these things, because science usually goes much further than the law can even keep up. Maybe that's the Jupiter ahead of the Saturn. Too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is um, that, you know, crazy things will happen. Remember the cloning? Remember when they had all that cloning and stuff? Mm-hmm. And it was later that people were asking, is this even ethical? It's like, okay, we can do it, but should we? 
And that's going to be the big questions. Like, I think we always need to maintain, that's the Saturn saying, should we be doing this? Is this ethical? Is this right? Where is this going to lead eventually? You know, are there laws that keep us safe? Um, Because it seems, I think with Jupiter and Aquarius, this whole year is just going to take off around all kinds of things. Now, I love your idea of the hologram thing for, you know, intimacy and hanging out and friends. But I think I read somewhere that the biggest grossing movie or something this last year was one that was, it was a um, virtual reality thing where like, or these virtual reality games, it's a whole, it is, it is is blowing up. Oh yeah. They're blowing up in, in quarantine times. Um, Especially with, I mean, I guess it usually starts with young people, but then older people, it's like, oh, hey, we, you can go and you have, and you look like you're like, you know, an 18 year old supermodel or something like that. Hey, why don't, and then it just becomes, if we identify too much with that and that is who we are and want to be, then that can be a little dangerous. Oh, I think that is definitely a social dynamic. I don't know if you've done VR. We, uh, I have. We had a VR set here at the house. Um, and so I've experienced a little bit and thought about... I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is going to be a very big component of, you know, mine's kind of innocent where you have some friends over within your like kind of projected space, but that is a real reality that a virtual reality is going to be a big time thing. And thinking about just the avatar in general and being able to once again, detach yourself from what reality is and embodiment and be this, um, you may you know, kind of utopian figure of what, who you'd like to be at any time. And that is not uh, is that really living, you know, to some extent? And if you haven't done VR before, definitely do it. I mean, the first time I ever put it on, like my experience was I did like a deep sea dive and I was like in a cage, like diving down in, in, into the sea and like have sharks around me and stuff. And I could not stop laughing. <laughs> like I, it was because you look around and everything around you is like hundred, you know, 360 degrees, any such way you are immersed within this reality. And of course these technologies are still being sussed out because, you know, you, you can't see quite exactly. And especially if you're like Christina and I with glasses, you know, like trying to get the right, you know, perspective on things. But I think that that mm-hmm. is going to be a huge, huge, reality uh, going forward. And to also think about when you're talking about AI and just um, kind of the robotic element and people have been speculating on this for years, you know, as our technology gets smaller and smaller, phones, chips, watches, etc. you know, at what point are we implanted with the actual technology to where it's not picking up the phone anymore? It's maybe, you know, just your hand in your face. Yeah. Or, or, or even the, um, you know, the impulses of the, you know, the electrical system of the brain triggering some sort of command, like it would our hand to be able to dial a number or find a contact or, you know, and there was a, there's a show. (laughs) There's all the shows. There's a show. It's fantastic. It's on HBO and it's called years and years and it's starring Emma Thompson. And, um, she is so interesting. She's this like populist type of like Trump type figure. And, um, but there's like the teenager who's like, you know, she, Okay. So she goes to her parents and she says she wants to be trans and her Mm -hmm. parents said, Oh, well, 
honey, we're totally fine with whoever you want to love, you know, whether you love a man or a woman or if you want to be whatever. And she said, no, not transsexual, transhuman. Mm-hmm. They're like, what is that? And she's just like, um, I'll, it's when you upload your brain to the cloud. And um, they said, well, what do you do with your body? And she said, oh, well, you just recycle it. And they're like, you want to kill yourself? And she's like, no, I want to live forever. And I thought this was crazy talk, but I looked it up and actually transhumanism is a thing. They're already working on it. And part of it in the show too, is she did get implanted with some stuff where everything was like, you know, there was nothing, but she just do like this and a screen would kind of come up, you know, holographic and she could kind of like a computer screen or something. And she could call just putting her, you know, finger to her mouth or whatever. And, um, and actually it was Wendy Stacy, the astrologer, Wendy Stacy, that told me that she had read that CEOs in America are already, you know, behind this whole thing so that they could like run their companies forever. Like just their brain, like can just, I mean, really, can you imagine? It blows you, your mind. Why, why don't I, I can't imagine. I would think that one day you would want to retire and like sit on the beach or something. I can't imagine spending your eternity running a company? Like what for? I mean, I don't know. At that point, you have to think about the evolution of the human soul and what's actually capable. Because we can get into these like speculized like ideas of what we could do and how we can control as humans and consciousness. But maybe that's not possible. Maybe, you know, you can get almost get there where you feel like you're there, but it's just not going to actually execute in a way because there are limitations to the human experience and you can't play God, you know? And I think that might be part of some of this Aquarius energy and technology and all that is at some point, um, and maybe this is the Saturnian component of Aquarius, is there's going to be limits. Um, and that is for the good. It's not, we're not meant to have the same consciousness running some sort of like forever corporation because that is, you know, the nature of society and being human and what we're creating here on earth is always wrapped up in change. And so having that fixity of purpose through your need to control, um, I don't think is going to be executable in some way. And I think that's a great thing. And I'm hope that I'm right. (laughs) So because Yeah. yeah, if there's enough money behind it, you know, who knows where, that can go. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a thing. And the other thing yeah. that Wendy had told me at, in the beginning of this year, she said like within a, I think she said a year or two, like human beings will be flying. They will fly because we're entering this air. Oh, era. that's like, true. What? Okay. And then I saw, actually, if you look up Los Angeles man flying, <laughs> um, you'll see there was some guy in some kind of jet pack that has, I think three or four times been caught like flying up at, with the, you know, at the LAX, like at the level of like thousands of feet up where the, um, the planes are and like the FBI is always on his tail or something like that. That's funny. But, and it was, I was kind of thinking, well, hmm, because normal air travel, you know, being packed in like sardines on an airplane is no longer, you know, right now we've had to take a pause from all that. And, you know, that whole industry may be changing in in big ways. You know, are people who really feel they need to be here and there, are they going to just that have the impulse for them to find a way of like, you know, can I just get there myself? You know, is there certain, you know, is there like a little pod or a little jetpack or something that will take me there? Like, 
I wouldn't be surprised if we would you see more advancement on that front. No, that makes a lot of sense with the um, back again to that social distancing that we're talking about is like, uh, yeah, we still have to get to point A to point B. So how are you going to innovate around that? And of course it takes me back to like, you know, kind of Star Trek episodes or something like that, or, you know, where you just get in some pod and then you, you dissolve and then you're in the next space. And I don't, I don't know if that's possible, but Hey, you know, we're, we're up there. We're up in this Aquarius space thinking these things out. I mean, look at what, but so many astrologers had said that by the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius, there will be a vaccine. I mean, that just seemed to be what, I mean, I heard many astrologers saying that. And this was like way back when we first heard about this whole thing coming up, which is like what, February or something. And even in the press, they kept saying, oh, it'll still be a year or whatever. You know, two years was the fastest it's ever been, blah, blah, blah. And now it looks like at least, yeah, I mean, I actually... Uh, the UK is already, they've approved a vaccine to be ready for COVID-19. So, um, you know, it's, it is happening like scientific advancements where, um, you know, maybe we, maybe there is bureaucracy that has held up things before that is no longer going to be seen as valid. Or maybe it's that we just have more and more um, knowledge because it was said that it used to be that scientists, like in science, there would be new information, you know, every, like, you know, a couple hundred years ago, it'd be like every 20 years or every 50 years or something like that. And now it's like every decade they have like double the amount of information and knowledge, you know, it's like the, we truly are in the information age now. And so there's like very literal little barriers to entry when it comes to getting knowledge. And that's like the first sort of step in creating something new. And I think that that's going to continue on as, you know, especially as Jupiter gets into Aquarius and Saturn there too, is because this is an air sign, you know, this is that diurnal sign that where things just literally move faster than the, you know, the nocturnal signs. And so we are going to be in a faster speed. And I wonder if part of that, um, you know, uh, vaccine being worked on so fervently and so quickly uh, had to do with the fact, like we were talking earlier, with Mars conjuncting Saturn at zero degrees Aquarius. So, you know, Mars is what we work towards and that we've been working towards that this whole time and that Aries pioneering component and moving fast and going through the retrograde space and testing and this and that. And so it makes me think just having especially Mars and Aries this whole time, it just like uh, accelerated the speed that work could be done at um, in some way to get us to this point. So now I guess, so we kind of technologically speaking, we threw technologically stuff. What about like creatively or like artistically or maybe even like psychic, like psychic connection? Anything come to mind? Um, I hope, you know, who I turn to for that kind of thing is Dr. Joe Dispenza, because so much of what he says is that so much of our thinking, as soon as we get up in the morning, we're thinking about what happened before, what happened yesterday. And so then we're back into this mold of who we have been. And that makes it impossible to think about our potential and who mm. we could be. So he has developed a lot of specific techniques and meditations and things like that that take you out of that. So I think that if 
people could, you know, not just meditate randomly for like, you know, like just with no aim, but maybe if we can start to access, you know, our minds, our brain power, and uh, actually start, you know, whether it's meditation or other techniques that can help to expand the potential of our minds, then anything is possible. I mean, you know, some people like to astral travel and do things like that. It might be, you know, with Saturn coming into Aquarius, maybe it's time to take some of these things seriously, you know, like they're not just pastimes or fun weirdo things, but things that can actually help us access more of our potential, more of our brain, more of like, you know, our power to manifest things, you know, specific things and things like that. Well, Saturn takes on the ritualistic element of it, right? Saturn can get us in the routine and can structure these types of things. And of course, I think the meditation and, um, you know, um, it's a word I'm looking for, um, disciplining your brain in, in many ways. Uh, it can be very much a part of opening, you know, the psychic center even more. So I think that I would love to see meditation, you know, kind of skyrocket and people being more on board with that um, and teaching children to do it um, and like getting the younger population on it. Because if we were a society that meditated and had that clarity of, of mind and purpose that kind of you came to every day, I think we'd live in a totally different society that it has less anxiety, is less run by like, you know, those kind of like anxious impulses and stuff like that, because there'd be just more connection. Um, with something that's larger than ourselves. And people could discern more like, Mm. okay, am I acting out of fear and and anxiety or am I choosing something that is more about my own authenticity? Um, And I think that's one of, you know, the best things that that regular meditation can offer is that you can kind of discern between these things rather than just constantly, you know, reacting. Um, so yeah, I think that, um, you know, as far as our human potential too, gosh, I mean, anything is possible. I think we just have to not resist, (laughs) you know, Uh, like our, our greatest like dreams and worries and things like that. Um, I'm hoping that we start to really you know, truly see that we're all connected even beyond borders, you know, because even though we're still on Zoom and blah, 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 we still identify with, well, I live in this country and this is my nationality and this is da, da, da. Like you were saying earlier, maybe there is this one global community or one global civilization that we can start to see, you know, it's worthy to um, really feel that, you know, there's nothing separating us ultimately as humans, you know, as a human race. Yeah. But we find ourselves, and that's the beauty of Aquarius, is that we know that we're all like part of this bigger community that is humanity, but we all are individuals within that greater community. And like you just said, with the meditation, um, being able to tap into our personal authenticity, um, in order to contribute to the larger whole. So I guess this is kind of like our wrap-ups like space of like how well creativity wait did we say creativity one uh, thing i do want to say just to touch on that it's just like i don't really i mean 
I think I always think artists and creative people are always at the cutting edge. Like, you know, I just think it's amazing what musicians and artists and stuff are able to do. I mean, I've said before how I ran an art gallery with my husband for 13 years. We were like in our 20s when we started it. And um, it was very traditional. It was before everyone had email. I mean, we used to spend an entire day, every time we would have an opening, like every month, practically, I would sit there with the interns and spend an entire day. We would have to like write, you know, basically mail everything, put stamps on everything, you know, print out all these like thousands of cards to send out to people for openings, you know, and then, you know, thank God a few years later, we started having email and things like that, that made everything easier. But we also had like a brick and mortar space and that was so expensive. And then there were all these, you know, taxes associated with it and, and things like that. And now, I mean, it just was such a heavy burden to have, especially we were so young. Um, and then eventually now it just seems like that is almost so passe. I mean, there's still sort of the gallery world online in the fine art world, but you know, so many young artists are able to just bypass that and, and actually even make a living creating and selling their artwork, which I think is amazing. And yes, I mean, I think they still hold in their minds, like the pinnacle is having a gallery and a gallery show. And I can understand that impulse and things, but in some ways, you know, do you really need that validation? Like that validation isn't really all that necessary. I mean, sure, it's nice to have, but um, I think when people, you know, the real beauty and which may not happen until Pluto gets into Aquarius is when we access people power, you know, when we stop looking to the patriarchy to provide us with our validation or with some kind of, you know, idea of safety, quote unquote, when people, individuals get together, like look at the gig economy, you know, like at for, you know, Airbnb and, and, and Uber and Lyft and all those companies, like they, you know, people started working, you know, with them and stuff to make some money they could be kind of free but then they have no protections. It's, it's looking like because of the pandemic, you know, the, those employees don't have any real protection because they're not real employees. They're like contract workers. And the companies are trying to get out of having to pay anybody any kind of, you know, protection, whether it's sick leave or hospitalization or anything like that. So, you know, I mean, people, when people bind together, you know, come together, like unionize or create networks that really are for the good of the community, then we have, we truly have a new way of, you know, helping society and new networks forming. But I just, it seems like more and more, we still go back to, you know, wanting those old, the more we try to get, you know, these old patriarchal norms to like protect us and and support us and things like that, then, you know, we're going backwards. So I think we need to continue to think forward. I mean, like even in astrology, sure, there's some astrological organizations, but I don't know any that really help one another, like make money, earn a living, like protect one another, get us like healthcare. I remember asking years ago to some of the big orgs, like, you know, when I first became a professional astrologer, can I get healthcare through any of these or anything like that? I mean, is there any kind of like real, like, you know, legitimate help for like an individual making their living this way? And there isn't, you know, like, sure, they do webinars and that's nice, but until we really decide that we're going to unhooked from 
you know, the old ways of doing things and create something new. And that's the potential of now. That's the experimental potential of now yeah. in all areas, you know. Um, there's so well, there's so much I could say so to everything you said. I'm like, I'm like, you I'm went on a train. I'm like, I have so up. much to say about this. Well, I just want to pull back to what you're saying about just the art community um, and the changes of like gallery space and things along those lines and just being a musician myself and like thinking about the changes that have happened in uh, the music industry over since the air great mutation was taking basically taking place since the 80s because you know in the late 90s um you know we had the napster show up uh, and the whole idea of you know in an iphone uh apple taking it to itunes and digital music and leaving this like whole uh, in a space of how musicians even make their money but it was also taking down the great industries of that were like robbing musicians since day one of you know like the record companies and all that and that can fit into that kind of patriarchal you know like a great example of that is if anybody hasn't watched dave chappelle's um recent uh rant there and i mean rant in the best of ways um and he talks about how you know the monster basically he doesn't like how the monster fucks he doesn't like how it eats because it's still at the end of the day a monster and and a lot of artists get eaten by this monster. And so we have this new space that is being cultivated, but we just don't know where we fit into that yet either because, you know, Spotify is paying, you know, like cents, pennies for songs. And that's not the solution either. So we are at this like turning point for art that it's like, how does this exactly fit in? Because we still need to survive off our intellectual content, which is very Aquarius, but how does that fit within this new framework? And when you were talking about gallery space and like, do we even be there anymore? Like, I think we can be, but maybe this is where things such as Zoom comes in once again, because, you know, artists, you know, maybe it's the Leo principle behind it, but we want some validation. We did this thing, you know, we want the feedback to some extent, even if not, some people won't, aren't willing to put themselves out there because that's another artist plight for another time. But it made me think about like, what if there was like gallery unveilings that were digital and you didn't see yeah, it immediately it online. And it's like, okay, well, we're all gathering in this space of all these people and all this uh, intellectual conversation and bam, we're going to put up the art um, which a lot of times could be digital onto the screen, and then we're all going to discuss about it. And there it is. And you know, you could purchase a print of it, or you can, you know, like these are the spaces maybe we could still go in where we have that community space because we want the community, but we don't want the overlying structure and that kind of patriarchal theme um, that you had mentioned earlier. But I, I also, you know, I'll say that after we ran the gallery um, for about like. 10 years or so, then we closed the physical space and then we became consultants. And that actually was, I mean, I actually preferred that because I was so tired of doing all those. Um, my Scorpio moon didn't like having to constantly throw parties. But um, then we, you know, and it was good because we had clientele who wanted the artwork and then we had the artists. And so we just kind of made the transaction and I thought, oh, easy peasy. But then a lot of a lot of uh, artists, it's like they're like, I need a show in order to really make the work. I mean, yes, they could make the work, but 
you know, when it's they the have motivating show, factor, it's the motivation to yeah. put everything together that makes sense, that has meaning that, ha- you know, yeah. so until we can find that, if, until we can find like the real reason for, you know, having these exhibitions or, or, you know, whatever to having the, the concerts, mm. like what's the reason behind that and how that, can that be translated in like an era of social distancing? There's an image of, um, I think it was the Flaming Lips that they had a concert where the bubbles, the bubble, yeah. Even yeah. the even the audience, the individual yeah. audience. And then I was like, okay, that is a real creative solution. Yeah, that's funny. Well, okay. Well, we could be here all day talking about like all the different ways that this could possibly go down. Um, so we'll leave our imaginations open, and I hope you are too, thinking about all the possibilities that Aquarius can bring. Um, but to come back to the idea of the individual in the society. Um, you know, is there any like last piece of like advice as we get into Aquarius, Christina, where how the individual, uh, can, you know, have a role to basically aid in the making of upgrading and improving society? Like how could we navigate this? I mean, I just see so much, even say in this era of like me too and stuff, we still see, you know, where women are finally given a voice and finally being heard, it is still a slog like to, you know, for a lot of these women to get justice. And it's because so many people protect, again, it's protecting the patriarchy, protecting the father figure. And this can even be an unconscious thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we unconsciously think that if the father gets attacked, then we're all, you know, who's going to keep a roof over our heads? Who's going to, you know, those things that are just running in the unconscious. So I think that we need to, um, realize that to me, like we have people power, that there's strength in numbers. You know, we need to have more unity consciousness. Um, and the more that we are, you know, just acting out of complete selfishness, then actually we're weakening ourselves. Mm. You know, it's weak, you know, we'll be weakened more um, when we just try to do everything ourselves. And I think that we're to a point now where we're seeing the benefit of. Um, mutual mutual benefits in all areas of life. And so I think that we need to stay open to that of new structures. I mean, like, again, like I think of Aquarius as like the abstract, you know, connecting certain dots in new ways that hadn't been connected before. And I think we can just approach all of life in that way if we can. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, I guess the only thing I would say is that it made me think of... Um, J.P. Sears, I think that's his name. And you see him, he's the funny redhead guy that's always kind of doing like mock videos on um, uh, like spirituality and like he's kind of got that hippie, you know, he's pretty funny. Uh, But he did this TED talk a while back, um, really talking about how important it is to embrace your weird. Because what our weird is, um, which is very Aquarius, you know, our individual weirdness for whatever that looks like for you, because we all have it some way. And we don't want that to be stamped out by, you know, too much collective, you know, it's a different type of, um, like we need our weird, our individual weirds to form up what the collective could actually be because the people that we look up to in life and when you're like this is my hero this is who inspires me that those people were doing their weird and that's what innovated the world and and society and so we need to feel um, confident in developing what our weird is and and sticking by it and knowing that that has a place within society um, on a grander scale so that we can you know like I don't know 
it's, I don't know, just don't shy away from your weird, I guess is what well, I'm saying. I think, yeah. And like, if you think about Capricorn, a lot of that is associated with, um, conditioning, you know, and, yeah. and fitting in and being like, just like everybody else and just doing your, you know, doing your job or whatever. <laughs> Whereas in Aquarius, it's people who are coming together because they're drawn together for an idea, an idea that they identify with. And, and then they can also like all these very different people, like completely authentic. I, I imagine, you know, when we connect from an authentic place and we can resonate, we know who we really resonate with and who we're drawn to rather than having to be together for reasons of survival or validation or what have you, you know, for generalized marketing. Uh, cause we think that we need to fit that goes back to our time thing and all that. Um, yeah, there's so much to say there. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, you so that's much. it. Awesome yes. Discussion. Well, okay. Well, Christina, what do you got going on? I know you're cooking up something. You kind of mentioned it. Tell us yes. all about it. Well, December 18th through 20th, I'm hosting my third and final online event of the year. Um, this one is less a summit and more a symposium because we have actually we have 15 speakers. We've got 12 speakers that each one of them is going to be embodying um, one of the archetypal, uh, or the, the archetypes of the Zodiac. And so we're going to go all through the Zodiac. And so each speaker or presenter is going to either have a presentation or a performance. We have singers, we have tarot readers, we have a dream analysis, we've got, you know, somatic healers, um, We've got three astrologers. So there's the astrology and a couple of them are going to be doing the forecast that everybody wants to hear. But um, we're going to really make, like you were saying, how everybody's embracing their weird and then we can come together and embrace each other's weird together. I just, I love that. It's something that I was craving. My partner in this, um, Shireen Vismaya, the Jungian analyst and astrologer, we both kind of came up with this awesome idea about the same time. And then we thought, let's just run with it. Um, and she called in a favor from a dear friend and client of hers, Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins, who right now is actually on like a major world online tour, <laughs> you know, for his new Smashing Pumpkin album. I don't know if it's pronounced Sear, C-Y-R, but that just came out and he's going to be our keynote speaker on the first Woo! day on the Friday. So we're super honored and excited about that. Um, and I also have an amazing friend who is blowing up in England. She's a pop star. Her name is Elizabeth Electra, and she puts on these amazing performances that are totally Aquarian age. Like you just got to see it to, um, to experience it. I mean, she's kind of just like, I think I was sort of like a more of a sort of sexier Bjork or something. I don't know. Um, I don't know if she'd describe herself like that. But um, it's going to be a great weekend right then when Jupiter and Saturn enter Aquarius um, just before the, the solstice. So it's a three-day weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I invite everyone to join us. And again, it's called Aquarius Rising Reimagined. We're reimagining this new age of Aquarius. Um, and you can find us online at AquariusRisingReimagined.com. Um, and again, it's starting up really soon, December 18th through 20th. So get your tickets now. Yeah, it'll literally be, when this airs, it'll be this coming weekend. Uh, so definitely if you're interested, uh, and I know, um, I'm sure you'll have all the details too over at Radiant Astrology and yeah. on, mm -hmm. on Instagram at the same handle. And Instagram, yes. Check me out on Instagram. We have all of our speaker 
previews and everything there. So it's been a lot of fun just putting it out there. Yeah. So definitely consider it because Christina throws some pretty rad events. Clearly it's, she has been in the event space for quite some time, which makes a lot of sense for a lot of your 11th house placements there. Um, I feel much more comfortable doing an online summit than I do like hosting a gallery opening, (laughs) even though I've done like so many of them, too many of them. But yeah, um, yeah, my my Scorpio moon can hide as much, you know, a little bit more this way. Behind the screen, behind the screen, you can hide. That's funny. Well, I always post a blog post with the guests that come on. So I will be sharing Christina's information uh, for Aquarius Reimagined as well over at energeticprinciples.com. You can also find me at Energetic Principles. And I guess my big news is about my course that's going to start. Uh, I got an actual date now. I'm like, I'm prepared with a date. Um, It's not in front of me. That's not very prepared. Uh, But it's going to start January 13th. It's going to happen on Wednesdays, um, right after the new moon in Capricorn. It's going to be a six-week-long course. Um, uh, That's with my Astrology Basics 201, which is going to be more intermediate level, and it's going to be on prediction, forecasting the natal. So it's going to basically work with transits, perfections, and secondary progressions, um, and how to really use all these tools together to synthesize what is most important when we are predicting from the natal, whether it's looking into the past, understanding the now, or forecasting the future. So if that's something you are interested in, by the time this airs, it'll be live to sign up um, at learningthestars.com, or you can find, of course, information on my uh, energetic principles and social media for that too. So I'm hoping if you're interested in learning, you know, you'll join us or spread the good word if you know someone who is at that level. Um, because it'll be fun. And I use clients, or not clients, I use a, you know, students charts so that we work through this together. So it's an, it's an interactive experience um, all at once and we get immediate feedback, which is super fun. Ooh, so yeah. All right. Well, what, what happened? We said, Christina. Oh, okay. You know, sharing is caring. We talked about all of Aquarius, getting the word out there. So, you know, if you liked what you heard here today and want to tell other people about Aquarius uh, energy and what's to come, you know, spread the good word about this podcast. You can leave a review where you listen to this to help us be seen further. A five-star review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars, all the stars, as many stars. Um, Well, at least we hope, you know, no pressure, Uh, but it would be nice to have that happen. Um, But yeah, you know, spread it to the community because that's, uh, you know, information, good information is key. All right. I've said so much, Christina. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm, it's always a pleasure when you come on the show. Oh, I so appreciate you letting me crash your show before the end of the year. So, and I'm looking forward to having you back on the Radiant Astrology Podcast in the new year, 2021. Yes, anytime, anytime. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for tuning in for to both of us talk all about Aquarius and the possibilities of human potential. Uh, we hope you are having a wonderful holiday season. And as always, may the stars be with you. Mm-hmm.